straight and narrow and then overshoot. And then uh, eventually we, we lower the amplitude of that sine wave. And, and before long, we do eventually stay on that straight and narrow for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it takes time and it takes effort and it takes trial and error. And then eventually we have no disposition to do evil. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking to get. We're looking to get there. Just like the 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 Nephites did, you know, when they, they just didn't have any re- reason or want or desire to do anything that was contrary to the, what the Lord has for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting you, you bring that up. The uh, no more disposition to do evil. It, I was asking myself that, um, I don't know, toward the end of last year, I'm just like, seriously, that seems so foreign because there's still lots of things that I crave, even though I might not, you know, give into them or whatever, but there's a lot of things. It's like, you know, I'm very much still tempted, but no disposition to do evil. You don't even think that way. You don't even want to sin, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, hmm, because I was trying to pull it out on a deeper level, not just uh, uh, the, the easy seminary answers that we're talking about. And I was like, okay, am I ever going to get to that level? Is that something that I can actually attain in this life kind of thing? And um, I see a huge transition, uh, especially this year with greater knowledge. There is a, a definite demarcation where, oh, there are a, 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 some things that I just don't even crave anymore. When I made like clean breaks from parts of Babylon, it was like, no, I don't even crave those anymore. When I went cold turkey, after a couple of months, I had it out of my system and it was like, oh, I don't crave it anymore. Right. Anyway, it was a, a huge thing for me. It's like, oh, God can remove those things from us um, when we live up to, to certain parts. I don't know. I'm really tripping over yeah. my words, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> sure. I, I kind of found something like that in the past year too, where uh, I decided uh, that I was going to give up Diet Coke. And uh, so I, I, I took it to the Lord and, I, and I've been wanting to give up Diet Coke for several years, but I could never come up with a real good reason. You know, there was plenty of plenty of medical reasons saying not to do it, but then there was other people that say, nah, anyway, the whole idea is I came to the Lord and I said, what should I do? And he says, well, you know what you should do. You just got to do it. He mm-hmm. says, I'll support you. So I decided that I was going to give up Diet Coke. Well, diet giving up Diet Coke, I was jonesing for a Diet Coke for a long time. But after a while, I lost the the desire for it. It it lost its bloom. And that's great. But mm-hmm. one of the things, the side effect of not wanting to drink Diet Coke was everything tasted good with the Diet Coke. <laughs> so since I'm not doing that, then I don't want to eat out. I don't want to, I don't want to eat a lot of things that I used to eat before because I could have a diet Coke with it. So a lot of times in our lives, if we just give up one, one thing that the Lord is trying to get us to overcome, then a lot of times things are associated with it that also drop off the face of the map because we're no longer interested in those other things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and this is, this is where the spirit of the Lord works with us on key elements because he knows that when we give up one particular key element, 
that a few other things will become a whole lot easier. And that's that's what he does with us. He works with us and and makes us it helps perfect us, sanctify. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so L in the chat says uh, a quote from Hugh Nibley: "The man on the top of the stairs facing down is much more." much worse off than the man on the bottom step who is facing up. The direction we are facing, that is repentance. And that is what determines whether we are good or bad. This is an excellent quote to, to put that in, in perspective there. Um, kind of from what we've been talking about, uh, one of the things that's brought up in the past couple chapters is making individual covenants. Now, we know that our uh, saving ordinances, those covenants are lined out for us. God uh, fixes the terms of the covenant and we enter into those willingly and and abide by those. But what about individual covenants? Uh, kind of like you did with, with Diet Coke, um, uh, giving that up. Now that's not for everyone, especially each rung of the ladder kind of thing. But yet how, how do we go about making individual covenants? Do we have to seek the Lord's approval to make individual covenants? Or do we get to set the terms of it to some degree? How have you guys found that that process works for you? And um, do you have any questions on individual covenants? Like, just talking about that for a little bit, because I, I've found my brain just kind of going wild on that topic this week. How can I make deeper and more lasting individual covenants um, on that Zion Jerusalem level and as I progress to the Sun Servant level? Individual covenants seem to be a huge thing in in just that upward propulsion uh, to, to prove worthy in not just our saving ordinances, but in the active law of sacrifice. Uh, any thoughts on, on that? Or is it wrong to seek individual covenants as far as we... Um... No, it's not wrong. In fact, the covenants what we make are are what's important to our progression. And uh, you're asking, you know, should should we make the terms of the of the mm -hmm. covenant? Well, we could, uh, but then would we our covenants would provide blessings that only a man can get, mm -hmm. and only the wisdom of a man. So if we truly want to progress. And we take it to the Lord. We tell him what it is we want to achieve or what we would like to see or, or, or do. And then we ask the Lord, what covenants do I need to make in order to get there? And then he will, he will start filling in the blanks and start providing you with the necessities of those covenants. Oftentimes we find them difficult to comprehend that one particular outcome would get us closer to what we desire we don't see a connection and yet he does but by fulfilling whatever thing he says because we've asked him then we get the wisdom of god and then we begin to not only do we learn the lesson and get what we're after but we also begin to understand the concepts of the lord and we also begin to see how he works and then our, our mindset changes, our, our cognitive abilities to resolve problems begins to change. And we begin to take on a holier mentality. 
and seeing possibilities that we never saw before. So in your particular case, you know, what you're asking is we could, we could make the terms of the covenant, but if we're, if we really want to get the job done fast and to have it last, then we need to seek his wisdom and find out what covenants he would have us make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Elaine Baldwin said that, uh, that she made some terms of the covenant with the Lord and he essentially told her no. Uh, she guesses that she needed those trials to grow, which, yeah, I, I think that that's uh, a very real thing. Sometimes we, we go to the Lord with our wants and, <laughs> and our wish list, and it's like, okay, hold off a little bit. We've got to restructure that framework, or, or I, I need you to go through a different trial kind of thing. Yeah, I, I like that point of view there. Well, we're told in Doctrine and Covenants, there's a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. So if we want a specific blessing, we need to find out what law controls that. Mm -hmm. And then we keep the, that law. And then we can covenant with the Lord. If I keep this law, I would like to have this blessing. And, you know, they're already hand in hand. And, you know, so we're told when we obtain that blessing, it's because we have been obedient to that law. Yeah. So I, I think we can look at that and do, and, and they're not like all lined out for us in a little chart, right? This is the law and this is the blessing. Um, but it, it takes a little bit of work. You know, if there's a blessing, you, you start looking through the scriptures. What law am I not keeping? What law do I have to keep if I want this blessing? Mm -hmm. right yeah and yeah. i like you know. um, i think it was elder lawrence that gave the talk what lack i yet where he you know says go to the lord he'll tell you what's your next step on the road because if you're trying to ascend clear to to god status right now you're you're going to be discouraged you're going to fall flat on your face but he will let you know what the next step is and and go to the lord in prayer what lack i yet and another thing will open up and he'll have you work on that, etc. Yeah, I like that. Another thing you might want to take into consideration is that when we desire a gift or we desire something and we ask the Lord for his assistance or his covenant, if we let the Lord know that we want to help him to accomplish a particular task, then we say, oh, I want to help you with this particular task or, or for this person or whatever. What do I need to know or do in order to help that person? So our desires become his desires or vice versa, but however you want to look at it. And then not only is he helping us grow, but he's also forwarding and promoting his own agenda and taking care of two problems with the same answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of along that line, um, an interesting thing that me and my uh, mom were talking about was how do we start going about some of this sun servant uh, level and seraphim level type? Um, uh, what's the word? It's not coming to my mind. Um, but uh, willingly sacrificing for, for the, the well-being of others kind of thing, because that's kind of the, the whole principle behind these, these two levels of the ladder. And how do we start actively going about doing that? Um, 
my question to her last night was, okay, we have two members of the family that need a lot of prayers and a lot of <laughs> guidance and stuff just to, to get them facing the right direction back on the covenant path. And how do we go about doing that? How do we sacrifice and, um, and help them? And what you just said uh, was key in that, where, uh, you know, the, the Lord gives us certain blessings or powers or uh, abilities beyond our own when we're willing to serve others. And so, you know, that's uh, in my prayers last night, that's not where I went. But uh, from what you said, it was like, oh, yeah, I, that's how I need to change my prayers. It's like, okay, not um, please help them send angels and, and stuff. It's like, okay, what kind of abilities or what kind of things might I need to incorporate in my life to, um, to do that? What laws or divine um, or individual covenants might I make with thee in order to, to gain the ability to better help that person kind of a thing? Uh, I, I really like that. That's changing my prayers tonight. <laughs> um, and then let's see, Elle says that there's an interesting blog on making personal covenants, and she gives the link there in the chat uh, to check that out. Yeah, I definitely would be reading that just right after class. Thank you. Um, so let's go to the, the very beginning paragraph of this whole chapter there on page 221. I like this overview that's there in italics. Um, it says that seraphim overcome death and see the end from the beginning. Their worldwide ministry is characterized by divine intervention. They gather God's elect from throughout the earth. John's 144,000 servants of God correspond with Isaiah's seraph slash saviors. The servant's descent and ascent open the way for Israel's God to intervene and deliver his people. So, I don't know, just throwing this out there, what's the difference between seraphim and son servant categories? Like, what are the differences between those two levels? How would you describe that to people who haven't read this book before or who maybe aren't quite awake yet? How do you describe that to members of your family and, and kind of um, teach that in, in a better way, the, the difference between sun servant and, and seraphim savior levels. Because I know that for this book, I definitely conflated those two categories together. And so I'm, I'm trying to pull them apart now. So I, I think the, the sun servants, they are mortals and they have, it goes back to that figure 96, right? They are more local in, um, what they can help. And I think we we have an opportunity to do that all the time. We serve other people, we minister to them, right? And and that we're being asked to minister in a higher and holier way, but that's still ministering to them on that sun servant level. Um, when you get to seraphs, seraphs have overcome that they are translated. Okay. And they can go anywhere. They can go anywhere around the world. They go wherever they're needed. And um, they're not bound necessarily by the time and space that we are. Mm -hmm. And so um, they have a much um, they have a much broader role and then and they have the abilities to do things that are necessary in those, right? They can they can go places and make things happen that maybe we can't do. Right? So like 
Moroni is one of those, right? Moroni just showed up in Joseph Smith's room um, because that, that's what he is. Um, he is a, a resurrected being. He's a, you know, he's at that seraph level. And, and that's the kind of things he, he would, you know, that seraphs do, I think. They can do that and, um, or they can, you know, just, they can guide and minister, but they, they, they go the places where the sun servants can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you bring up an interesting, well, does anybody else want to answer that question before I kind of take it in a little bit different? Well, there's a list there on 228. That on 228, you said? It, yeah, it's, okay. it's telling what Elijah was able to do, and mm -hmm. he was a seraph, and it gives you a good idea of what seraphs. So in that paragraph right above figure 95 there that Elijah had the power of teleportation, opening and closing the heavens, dividing the waters, bringing fire from heaven, enlisting heavenly armies, multiplying provisions, healing the sick and raising the dead. All the things that seraphs do. <laughs> I, I love that, that summary there. There's another thought on page 241, a figure 101. It talks about the spiritual mission during the servant phrase physical missions in the centuries. Yeah. Yeah, that delineates it out pretty well as well, right? Yeah, thank you. All right. That, that figure 95 really does, that, that delineates it out really well too. The sun servants, physical protection against the enemies, but the seraphs, you have that divine inter intervention with miracles. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, another delineation. Um, one is just the protection, but the other is miracles. But mm -hmm. well, what I'm referring to, uh, I see that figure of 95, they're talking of one level, some uh, servant, but then we're talking about the other less sheriff and son. Well, this one, figure 101 is is splitting out the son and the servant. The son does the physical it's side. The same, and the servant does the spiritual. You have a level below the sheriff, which is the son servant. Then the sheriff, they also have sheriff and son. And I'm... <laughs> I, I guess I need clarification. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so if I remember right from the context here for that figure 101, it's talking about the Davidic servant, right? That comes at the end of the world and um, that he is performing um, those two special missions, the spiritual mission and then the physical mission. And, and he performs those. And that's what that chart gives us is um, during the servant phase, he performs that spiritual mission. And then during the son phase, he performs that physical mission. Oh, but yeah, he's a seraph. Yeah, yeah, he is a seraph, but he's still performing those son servant type uh, missions there. Uh, because, it, it, you know, it's kind of like our uh, priesthood ordinations, I guess you'd say, uh, for a thing. So everything like when a priest is ordained, he can do everything that he could previously do as a teacher and a deacon, 
but he can't go any higher, but he can still do the, all of the accumulation of things that he's already went through kind of thing. And so uh, here's the Davidic servant as a seraph, and he's doing those son servant uh, type things uh, there at the end of the world uh, without spiritual and physical missions. Is that what we're kind of getting? I don't know. That was my take on it, but I, I could be wrong. That was my take as well. I agree with him. Excuse me. <laughs> yep. Um, so I want to pose like some a couple interesting questions. So um, I, I'm going to ask both of them, and then we'll we'll kind of discuss them separately. But is progression on the ladder available after we die and, and move into the spirit world? That's, that's the first question. And then the second one is, are all seraphs translated or vice versa, are all translated being seraphs? Are, are they mutually exclusive? Is it if like a Venn diagram? Does it overlap? What are we talking about there? Um, so kind of those two questions, what, what do you all have? So is there progression after we die? And um, the, the delineation of translated beings and, and serif level. Um, because uh, Nancy brought up uh, a few different things when she was talking that uh, kind of answered the, the question there. But um, I just wanted to kind of get some discussion on those. I'd say that's a definite maybe. <laughs> yes. You know, I haven't studied this recently, but um, I remember years ago reading some quote by Heber C. Kimball about the progression afterwards. Um, and it was pretty clear that there was ability to progress afterwards. Um, specifically, you know, he had he was talking about um, did by spirits um and had an experience uh you know i'm away and he learned that um those spirits that were afflicting him felt beholden to him uh, to satan and didn't know that they had so i can't remember i don't have the direct quote but i just remember reading that at that point uh yeah, I remember, but, like I said, it's been a few years. Biography as well, that, that life of Fever C. Kimball, that's one of the chapters in there, and I forget which one it is. Um, but he mm -hmm. talks about, um, it, it's in that chapter when Valate is kind of on her deathbed there, and he walks in and there's a, a, a female uh, evil spirit there uh, over her body kind of thing. And then he goes into that whole um, testimony that you're talking about there. And what he learned, etc. But yeah, I'll have to find that chapter. I'll have to bring my book out again. A question I have is why do we read that to him? Sorry, Cheryl, you'll have to repeat that. It was kind of cutting out on it's, you. Okay, I'm wondering why do we do that to him for the dead? Yeah, so why do we do baptisms for the dead? And if there's uh, what do we release them from? Why do we have missionaries on the other side of that? Yeah, for sure. So let's let's take one kind of uh, example that, that we were thinking of. 
So my my mom's brother died. How old was he? He was 18 when he actually died. Anyway, he was really young. He he wasn't like mm -hmm. full on adult yet. He was almost. Oh, he was almost 20. Um, but he had he had dealt with kidney failure for for a few years before then. Had kidney transplants, etc. And uh, he didn't get married, but he did get his endowments. Is he a candidate for a seraphim level of ascension prior to the millennium? Or is he kind of stuck in that Zion Jerusalem level, son servant? Well, because son servant, it says that it requires marriage, right? And so uh, is he kind of in that, that stuck limbo stage until he can get married during the millennium? Or where does that leave us with progression after this life on this ladder kind of thing? So that was kind of one of the specific examples that we were looking at and yeah. posing. Another specific example, where did Joseph Smith see Alvin? He saw Alvin in the celestial kingdom. Mm, yes. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a great one. So he saw- uh, what type of heart? In the celestial kingdom, which requires marriage, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's the heart and those who would have accepted the gospel will inherit those blessings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cameron, I think your question is very linear in your thinking as yeah. far as time goes. That's what I'm play devil's advocate here. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Lord, um, he knows what's going to happen, right? future, past, all those kinds of things. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows what blessings he's going to grant, right? So if he chooses that I am going to grant these blessings to him, he may give them, you know, a, a seraphim type calling, right? For this time. And it, it, it's also, remember, I was talking about how they're not bound by time and space, right? Who's to say that he hasn't already been there and coming back in time. I know it's a little timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly, but, um, you know, it, it, it kind of works. I, I think it works that way because the Lord is not bound by time. And I don't believe we're bound by time. Once we leave this existence, time on this earth is what binds us to this. Um, and, and I don't think we realize how short our time really is here in relation to everything um, while we're in the middle of it, in the thick of it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I think about your, your, uh, your mom's brother. <laughs> your uncle. The reason we was wondering about it because we know that he's ministered to us. Do you want to go through that whole story? Well, you can. <laughs> okay, so we have like a specific story about that that makes us think on on a different level there, which is interesting. So um, this was, I don't know, three years ago, maybe, where I had uh, an experience with her brother, Mike. I never met him in, in, in mortality here, but um, there was a, a time when my grandmother, so his mother, um, was was suffering from a depression. She it was the first time that she'd ever uh, dealt with it at all, and she was just having the winter blues, and and she couldn't snap out of it. We were starting to realize there was stuff going on, uh, and so she uh, the siblings stepped in, and she was kind of 
uh, it was right around Christmas and she was kind of hopping between the different siblings and going to their houses, et cetera. And they were like, oh, mom is way off. She, I mean, she just can't quite uh, get her bearings on stuff. We need to, to get her some professional help here and stuff. But there was one night I was traveling and I was going to go on a date. I, I, this is, it doesn't relate to the story, but it, it relates in my head because this is how I remember it. So I was driving in the middle of a winter blizzard. I couldn't hardly even see 10 feet in front of me. And I had the distinct impression that my grandmother was suffering immensely in that very moment. And I was like, crap, I, what do I do? I can't do anything. Like I'm literally helpless here. And um, that week in institute class, um, uh, just prior to it, um, we were talking about calling on our ancestors by name to, to come and minister to us. And I had just been called, um, I, I don't know, I'd probably been in my calling as a stake family history for, I don't know, three months or so. And um, we were talking about that very principle, calling on our ancestors by name. And so, I mean, I, <laughs> it was Christmas time. So I was like on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen. I was calling all of my ancestors to help. I, I was really focusing on who could, could it be kind of thing. Uh, I was calling on her parents by name. I was doing different things and nothing seemed to be quite working. I wasn't connecting. And then all of a sudden it was just like, duh, call on her son. He dealt with depression. And as soon as I called on Mike, he was right there in the seat next to me in this blizzard. I couldn't even see, uh, like it was just the craziest thing. But I, 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 I could see him with my spiritual eyes. I can't say that I seen him with my physical eyes, but he was right there. And he said, I'll take care of it. And, and my grandpa was in the back seat with him who had passed away uh, just a little while uh, prior to this and stuff. And um, anyway, uh, the best word to describe it was I could feel his priesthood. Like I, I didn't know how to describe it before, but anyway, I, now that I've got this kind of Isaiah's ladder kind of reference to it, we were talking last night, it was like, oh, so in that moment, I was acting as a son servant, calling on a seraphim to go help my grandma, who I couldn't do anything for, but I knew how to call on heaven for power, and then a seraphim who has additional powers and, and can, can bebop over there real quick or whatever, you know, kind of thing. Like it all made sense as we were talking about it last night. When you can kind of put it into the context of whatever you're learning, it just made so much sense. It was like, oh, like in no way am I saying that I'm a son servant. Like, you know, I, I haven't fulfilled many of the things on the son servant level yet. But in that moment, God was needing me to make intercession for somebody else so that all of us could grow through that experience. And that just was so enlightening. And we were talking about Mike, you know, he didn't marry in, in this life, but yet he was acting as a seraphim in that moment to, to go and bless. And well, you, anyway. you can rest assured that all of the I's have been crossed and the T's have been dotted. So, you know, you'll, you'll find out the details a little bit later, I guess. Uh -huh. I've, had, yeah, I've had something similar to that, except I had a dream one night that was very disturbing. And the individual that I pictured in the in the dream was uh, uh, was causing me much grief. 
And I woke up startled and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I jumped out of bed and got on my knees and I prayed for the Lord to help me to shake off this dark feeling that I had. Well, he helped me to shake it off. But then when I woke up the next morning, I couldn't get it out of my head. Something was something was stuck there that I couldn't break it. I didn't feel the darkness, but I felt something else. Well, after I pondered it a little bit and I said a prayer about it, I found out that this individual had volunteered to cause to 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 serve whatever mission it was to just to distract me because they knew that I had a kindred spirit with them. So when I realized that they were not actually creating harm for me, but were asking for help. So when I, when I realized that, um, it affected me so hard that I broke down and cried. And the first thing I did was I dropped to my knees uh, and I asked the Lord to send angels to wherever this individual was and, and rescue them because they really wanted to get out of there. And, and the, the big key to that was they needed somebody on this side of the veil to make the request because they weren't in a position where they can make the request because they were a slave to, to their, their circumstance. So not only did I ask the Lord to send angels to go recover them, like uh, SEAL Team 6, so to speak, <laughs> but I also asked the Lord to have a return and report. Hmm. Um, and then uh, later on during that day, I was working, I was busy, and employed, and doing a bunch of stuff. And all of a sudden, I got this out-of-the-blue feeling that the person had been rescued and that they had been pulled out of the of the dark dungeon that they were in and they were now in in the spirit prison type deal where they could have an opportunity to learn and grow and accept jesus christ and repent and the you know it is it's really kind of scary to be sitting there at your desk in the middle of work and all of a sudden you just get overwhelmingly to the point where you start bawling yeah. uh, uh, luckily, I work kind of I, remotely so that people don't actually walk around me very much. But it was, but it it really made me feel good to think that um, that my ability to connect with that kindred spirit, uh, and I was able to request uh, uh, angels of light to go retrieve them, and now they have hope, and I I feel supremely confident that someday I will get another report on how they're progressing. Mm -hmm. And I have had a various different reports that they are progressing. So uh, I'm sure that we'll eventually come together. And this is where the ancestors and, and all of this stuff, this is how we connect. And this, the seraphim and, and the sun servant and all these parts of the, of the thing that Isaiah was talking about is how we stay connected. Is how we uh, we work and fulfill the 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 eternal regulations and stipulations that even the Father has to follow. It's mm -hmm. not like he 
so much created them is this they may be a universal thing and he just has learned to manipulate them and follow them and be obedient for his purposes so he's turned the rules to his advantage mm -hmm. yeah i like that and it leads right into the end of the chapter um kind of like 259 through the end there where it starts kind of summarizing the different levels of the ladder and what kind of um, manifestations can, can be had there. And, and I like that on page 260, the very top, um, it says that people of the Zion Jerusalem level experience no visions of great magnitude, but receive guidance from God's spirit. That is proof to them that God's love is real. God's spirit comforts, directs them in their spiritual uh, odyssey. And, um, they, they know him in part because of that. You know, they haven't seen him. That, that's a blessing for a different level of the ladder. Yet, um, it, it's interesting, as um, Janet was asking at the very beginning, you know, are we uh, set on one rung of the ladder at a time? Or is there kind of fluidity, you know, in our experiences, in our day-to-day -day, uh, interactions and stuff? And um, sometimes we, we get some of those... Um, higher visions or dreams or whatever that kind of help us connect a little bit uh, deeper and then we come back down and try to unpack it like okay what did i just experience that was a testimony builder for this this and this and um you know like i had that experience with uh my mom's brother on the other side of the veil but um it's taken me a long time i mean like i understood it in the moment like i mean it was undeniable what had happened etc but um, little additional insights come here. Um, uh, this year, I kind of learned this about it. And, and then it, it helps um, uh, aid in my, my spiritual growth throughout the years as I can see it in new contexts as I learn new principles and paradigm shifts um, that help me see it in different ways. And so I, I really love, oh, sorry, excuse me, um, the different uh, paragraphs here. Uh, at the very end of the chapter that, that help delineate those out. Um, the, the Zion Jerusalem level, the Jacob Israel level, the Babylon tradition, all of those different things that um, just is a great summary that I wish it kind of was at the beginning of the book to kind of help uh, map those out. But yet, I, I think it probably would have been confusing at the very beginning of the book. Now, having went through those chapters, it was such a refreshing uh, summary I, I found. I really love that. Um, let, oh my word, we're already basically out of time. Okay, um, what do we talk about next? What are, what were you hoping to discuss when when you hopped on tonight? What haven't we covered that you would like to to head into? <laughs> I have a couple questions. Yeah, they might be stupid, but I'm going to ask them anyways. Um, so. You have the 144,000. Are those the only translated beings that there will be? Is you have to be one of those? Very good question. Because I, I, I've started wondering that same thing uh, myself throughout this, uh, this chapter here. We just don't know that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want to see what everybody else says because okay. I have own, my own opinions on it, but I don't know. I, I might be totally wrong. And then I have another question. I don't know if you want me to ask it now or wait, but I'm yeah, just curious, when you become a translated being, 
do you continue working, going to work and go about your life as usual? Or do people think you're dead and you're gone? Or I don't know, I'm just, I have no idea. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think these are all things that we've asked ourselves and have kind of wrestled with. I remember my mom kept asking me the same things. She's like, so am I going to still interact with my family? Like, am I going to go to my grandkids' ball games when I'm translated? <laughs> kind of thing. Like, what do I do? Is it something that I actually want or do I need to hold off a little bit? Like, you know, we, we have some of these different questions as we're, we're learning and growing in uh, some of these new things that, you know, definitely aren't taught far and wide, you know? I, I love your, your questions. I'm going to let everybody else kind of uh, take that and run with it. And, you know, I'll, well, I'll step in. If, if in regards to that, you know, whether we'll be able to interact, whatever, you have to ask yourself, well, what would I have to do, not necessarily to achieve translation, but what would the Lord want me to do for the purpose that, he would translate, you know, and in that particular case, you know, what, what tasks, what duty would he assign to me that a translated being would need to have? So that particular case, you know, we think kind of myopically in the small aspects. Uh, I believe that whatever the Lord is, whether we'll be a hundred, one of the 144,000, or, or will be uh, a translated being, um, and what, how we'll interact, I don't believe that the Lord will restrict us or separate us from our families and our loved ones if it's, if it's not necessary to do so. So I think that if the tasks that we have uh, worked our way up to being proficient at that now the Lord says, well, in order to go to the next step and, and be more efficient at what you're, I want you to do, then I need to translate you, okay? You'll have this ability and that ability, and uh, but I, I still get the feeling that we will not lose connection with our loved ones and our families. Um, it could be like serving a mission. We wouldn't see them as often, or we might not have time to go to the baseball game, but we would be able to touch base. And if we're translated beings, then we have all the rights and privileges that a translated being would do. So therefore, maybe time won't have an effect upon us and we can we can do the task for the Lord and then pop back and still be at the baseball game and nobody even know we were gone. So um, and as far as being one of the 144,000, you know, that's uh, that that that's everybody's looking to achieve one one classification in our lives you know uh, well what do i need to do to be a, a member of the church of the firstborn or have my calling and election made sure i think what we need to really focus on is obeying the lord and and being um diligent and listening and then because of our actions and our working with the lord we will become an elite member of a group, but not actually receiving some kind of a membership indoctrinate or an initiation. It's like uh, you'll be a part of the group, but you you didn't know it. It was kind of like you just it was just something you were already doing, and then all of a sudden, somebody looking from the outside will classify you as being 
a part of the church of the firstborn or one of the 144,000, but it's not like you're, you're given a diploma and a little badge and, and saying you're you know, raise your right hand, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, it's all a part of the Lord bringing us into his, in, in, into his army, into his hosts and giving us assignments. And then our definition I don't even think the Lord uses those definitions. I think what will happen is those are definitions assigned by people who are outside the group. And as far as aspirations of becoming those, I think we're, we're, we're shooting for the wrong mark. We're shooting for what we should be looking for is to serve the Lord and be the best tool in his hand. Let us be the best ax in the hand of the, of the, of the woodsman um you know we, we want to be and he's going to do stuff to sharpen the axe and we're going to have to uh, to take that uh, sharpening but before long we'll be working and, and fulfilling the needs of the lord and and we won't re realize that but we become a very important part in his arsenal and in, in his tool belt or whatever you want to call it and then other people will look at us and say oh you must be translator you must be and you'll go, well, I guess so. Uh, all I know is the Lord has assigned me this task. And in order for me to do this task, then I've had to have special uh, abilities. And he just gave me those abilities. So if you say I'm translated or I'm church of the firstborn, well, then I guess so. So I, I think that the 144,000 is a figurative number. I think it's a representative number um, based on the symbol symbolism of that number i don't think it's a finite oh my gosh there's only 144,000 people in all the history of the world who are ever going to meet this I, I don't think that's the case um but like scott was saying i think um if we go and say okay lord what do you need me to do and you do what he asks what else do you need me to do and you do what he asks, he will take us and he will stretch us. And when we get to a certain point, we're going to have to, in order to do that, we're going to need more skills or we're going to need more whatever. And he'll provide those for us. And, and then we might find ourselves in that, in that point. But I think it also goes back to, we've got to be keeping whatever laws are necessary to also prepare us for that blessing you know so what are the laws what, what laws do we have to keep and they're probably not going to be very easy ones and they might require us to make lots of changes but if we have the um our eyes single to the service of the lord he will use us wherever he wants us to be and if that's as one of the a translated being or as one of the 144,000, then, then that's where he's going to use us. If he has a different plan in mind, then we need to be okay with that. We need to let God prevail with where he wants us to be. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. So um, that first question that you had of are all of the 144,000 seraphim or can the 144,000 branch, you know, some of the sun servant level, et cetera, kind of, is that, 
specifically the the serif level i i tend to say no but i uh, I, I could be wrong but Cameron, the first paragraph of the first page of the chapter john's hundred and forty four thousand servants of god correspond with isaiah Sarah's savior mm -hmm. they, they correspond but i don't think that they're mutually exclusive no it's what, what i'm saying but uh, i could be wrong with Scott and Nancy, I just want to add uh, along with what they said was the definition of a taxpayer person is the law that pertains to being a taxpayer person is answered in DNC 93.1. And that says the Lord it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his feelings and cometh unto me, calleth on my name, and obeyeth my voice, and keepeth my commandments, shall see my face, and know that I am. That is a definition of a translated person. No one in my reading and reading and reading is proving to be translated. You have a personal one on one conversation. And interview with the Lord. And part of that conversation is the Lord tells you what your mission is for the life. Because He knows you so well, He loves you so well. And that one on one, He's the one saying, You are transferred. Exactly. Yes. And then L says, uh, page 231, um, and, and talk yeah, about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it says the sealing of the 144,000 servants with the name of God on their foreheads immediately before the destruction, the wicked, reflects the ascent from sun servants to seraphs. And at the end, it says elect persons who wept for the wicked of God's people receive a mark of God on their foreheads. So I did some research to figure out what that was, because I didn't realize that God's people also receive a mark. You know, the people that serve Satan or the beast also get a mark. And I didn't realize God's people got a mark. Yeah, I didn't either before this. And so I looked that up and I just kind of took some notes, but I can post it what I found once I get it all organized. But it had something to do with the spirit of the Holy Spirit promise spirit of the holy promise or i'm i'm twisting that around um and so it means that we're sealed by the holy ghost i think and so we've had confirmation so i think it means having our calling and election made sure is what it means and then i think i'm not sure on that level if you get your calling and election make sure if you get to see the face of god or not but that's maybe considered the mark of God on your forehead. Uh -huh. And that's where I'm coming from on, on this. In the, the past chapter, it said that the son servant level is where you get your calling and election made sure and see God. Then like on, on page 261, that's kind of the, the chart that I'm referencing. So you have a local vision of God, whether it's in a temple or on a mountain or, or what have you, but you see God and get your calling and election made sure on the previous level, on the sun's uh -huh. and then 
on the seraph level, that's when you actually ascend to heaven and get the grand cosmic vision. And, and so, um, like, like it says here, when you get your calling election made sure, you're part of the Church of the Firstborn, uh, getting that, that mark on your forehead. The mark on the forehead seems to, to represent both categories, both the sun-servant level and the, the seraph level, based upon the 144,000. And that's why I think that many will obviously be, like, I think all of the seraph are 144,000, but I think that it branches and, and encompasses some of the sun-servant level as well at the end of the world uh, based upon that. That's kind of where, where I was thinking. But, you know, obviously I, I'm new to all of this and you can, can be wrong, but that's where I've, I've come to, to see it. So let's take two examples really quick. Um, let's look at John the Beloved and the three Nephites. They had a completely different experience from Father Abraham. In, in their ascension to the, to the seraph level. So John the Beloved and the, the three Nephites, they were granted that, but at a future date. So, you know, when, um, uh, what is it, like 70 years old or whatever, like 76, uh -huh, whatever that is, like it was a future thing that they would uh, have time with their families, etc., and then advance to that level so that they could carry on their missions as solo beings that are gonna last throughout the, the ages. Versus like Father Abraham, he seen God here on earth. And then uh, later when he uh, ascends to heaven with the cosmic vision and everything, he still has much of his life to live out here on this earth as a seraph. And um, anyway, I, I find studying those two uh, categories uh, of seraph are, are very different. And I don't know, I think that we can learn a lot from studying the scriptural examples of, of each of those and, and trying to find out from the Lord through personal revelation, what the Lord needs from us in our life, what ones resonate and uh, kind of ask what lack I yet and which prophetic example from the past is a type for my life. What do I need to do? How do I need to model uh, my ascension up the ladder kind of thing? Anyway, it, that's, that's my two cents. But again, I could be wrong, but that's the kind of the personal journey that the Lord's taking me through in, in, in this chapter. Well, and along those lines, you know, since you're talking about the three Nephites and, you know, and, and John the Beloved, let's, let's look at the three Nephites first. We know from the record that the three Nephites, after they were translated, they stayed with the Nephites and they ministered to them. So that that kind of answers your question, Darlene, right? The They were there. They were living amongst the people until the people became so wicked that they had to be taken from them. And then we look at um, John the Beloved. He was translated and thrown in prison and, you know, all of the things and and exiled he was exiled because they couldn't kill him so he was already <laughs> translated at that point right and and who knows how long he stayed there but you know he's in exile he's writing all this stuff down he's probably like okay i can't leave and go and do anything else until i get all this stuff written so let me get it all written down let me do all of this and then he probably just disappears and and Nobody wants to say we lost him, <laughs> right? And, and, and it just, 
we don't have any record of what happened when he disappeared or anything like that. Um, yes, we do. He's with well, the 10 tribes. Well, right. He is with the 10 tribes, but we don't have any record in the Bible. Um, the world does not have any record in the Bible of what happened when John left to go to the 10 tribes. Mm -hmm. They, you know, that's why other denominations are like, okay, well, he was, he must have died and been buried somewhere because, you know, but we don't know. That's mm -hmm. what they say. We know that he was translated and that that's what he was offered. And we know he's with the 10 tribes. Um, but the, the record that the rest of the world has does not, does not tell them. Um, you know, so there's two, there's, they're both examples of translated beings who stuck around and were involved with people's lives and did things because that was their mission from the Lord. Yeah, I, you I know. thank you, because that totally corrected what I was saying. Like the Abraham one, yes, but then I was thinking on the opposite road. But but yeah, you, those are all perfect examples from from those specific people. On but they stuck around. They they had lives to to live, and yet in their translation, Elijah, you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think if we're looking at ourselves, right, we're looking at ourselves and what we're hoping for and things. Uh, I think that we probably won't get to the point where we're translated until things get so bad in society that in order for us to continue to serve the Lord, we're going to have to have something else. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, everything may be so bad that nobody's going to notice, <laughs> right? That we're That's gone. That's what here, right? There was some part where it's like, nobody notices that these people leave. Right. Where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it, it, it's going to be to the point where, where the righteous will leave and nobody's going to notice because they're so caught up in, in whatever disasters they're dealing with that they just think, okay, anybody who's missing, they must have died somewhere. They mm -hmm. must have been, they must have drowned or they've been buried or, or whatever. And, and so they have no idea who died and who's just translated and now has a different mission. Mm -hmm. you know and i think we'll find those things out when it happens to us if it happens to us mm -hmm. you know um and, and until then uh, unless the lord has a specific need for us to have that skill set i don't think he's gonna be handing that out mm -hmm. yeah because i mean to rise to that level there's the descent that has to match it, right? And we won't have that, especially on a, a wide basis until some of that really bad stuff through the, the tribulations comes. And, and so- And we know it's coming and we know it's coming sooner rather than later, yeah. you know? So we need to not procrastinate the day of our repentance and repentance for everything and even little stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, because the atonement covers even our mistakes and our errors and our misjudgments, you know, even things that aren't necessary that we might not consider a sin, but that maybe we could have done this a little better. Mm -hmm. Right. And if, if every day we're asking the Lord, please forgive me for all these things and help me be right with you, then it doesn't matter what day any of this happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. All right. Any last comments from from anybody before we disband? Sorry, we went over time, big time this time. But we always <laughs> do. Questions. I think uh, <laughs> we totally bombarded Shannon with <laughs> lots of stuff. Hopefully, we answered even parts of it. Give you. A I have a comment. comment. I have a comment. Yeah, for sure. The last part of the chapter is beautiful. Of what the millennium is going to be, and the 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 vivid current and 144 are the ones that lead us out of the accident, accident we go into the millennium. And that description, this is, I can hardly wait. I know, right? Yeah, these are excellent descriptions. Last chapter and this chapter, there's like some fun stuff that, that's happening that um, they, they give you that, that peace and, and hope and everything that some of this other chaotic stuff prior to it is <laughs> to counteract it. I, I love the way that, that Abraham brings in some of those um, those prophecies or examples of, of what's coming along with the levels of, of the ladder. I, I think that those are those fit hand in glove here. I, I think um, if you read the postscript, the very first sentence in the postscript is so needed in the world today absolute truth is something that is true whether we believe it or not so many people in the world don't believe they're like oh well this is my truth that's your truth and this is my truth they think that truth is subjective and that it's variable and that it depends on how it's who's looking at it and that's not the case truth is true and whether people believe it or not it's true it might be hard but we have to make sure that we are on the side of truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it says just right after that, truth will prevail. And mm -hmm. we're going to have to live by it. So we <laughs> best get used to it now before you start writing all your own truths. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for a great discussion. Sorry I hopped on here a little late, but um, uh, it, it's been so fun. Uh, Next time when we dive into the chapter eight, it's going to be a, another crazy ride. But um, anyway, thanks for, for all the participation and insights and questions. Um, uh, yeah, group C, I'm sure is gonna take it in a wildly different direction. It will be fun to see that one too. But um, anyway, uh, love y'all. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>